a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Jesus does not lie. And he told me, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He told me, this is my blood shed for you. He told me, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And I've heard the Lord's voice in the absolution, forgiven me. He's, he's told me that he, uh, that he loves the world, that he died for the world, that he shed his blood to save me and forgive me. He said it, and he doesn't lie. Those sins which we're supposed to be conquering have been conquered, not by our striving to overcome them, but have they been conquered by the death of Jesus. Those sins, even those pet sins that we're supposed to overcome, even the the sins that we keep coming back to, those have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and now uh, sanctification is is putting to death the old the old Adam, the old flesh, by confessing our sins. I wasn't paying attention to what you just said. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading Facebook statuses. Welcome to another broadcast of Table Talk Radio. The long-awaited Iron Preacher returns to Table Talk Radio. Um, you know, I, the reason it's, it's taken so long is if you remember, I'm not sure you probably remember this, Pastor Wolf, <laughs> there, but if you remember, the last time we played Iron Preacher, I was defeated. And so it's it's been a, a little yes. sore. It's been a little sore about, here we are <laughs> back. your wounds? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you about that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I, I brought in then another uh, another contestant um, to, to, to go against you and Iron Preacher today. Uh, and that is uh, Pastor John Bombaro. He's pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in San Diego, California. Uh, pastor Bombaro, welcome to Table Talk Radio. God, I'm glad to be here. Or, or maybe I should say, yeah, what's up, dude? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and our judge for Iron Preacher, our, as as usual, is Dr. Carl Frakentry. He's professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Frakentry, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Evan. Thank you so much. All right, so how this works, for those of you who don't know, we give our preachers a a, uh, a text to, to prepare, and they have about 10 minutes of preparation time. And then they each have five minutes to to deliver their little homily, their little sermon here on Table Talk Radio. And then our honored honored judge, Dr. Frickensher, will pick a winner for Iron Preacher. So that's how it works. Uh, we'll get the text going so that our preachers can get to work. The text is Luke. I'd, Evan, by the way, too, by the, after you read the text, you got to say, a la preaching. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> okay, this is Luke chapter 8. Verses 16 through 21. And the text reads like this. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a container or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand in order that he, in order that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that shall not become evident or anything secret that shall not be known or come to light. Therefore, take care how you listen or whoever has to him shall more be given. And whoever has, not, whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Uh, preachers commence. Will that work? All right, sounds good. All right, get to work. Now, uh, Dr. Kencher, do we expect them to uh, parse any Greek verbs that we ask them to before preaching? Is that part of it? Well, the... I think it would be a great idea. I, I'd like to hear that <laughs> from both of them. Uh, however, I do tell my, my students that uh, the original languages are, if I may say, since we don't take ourselves too seriously on this program, uh, <laughs> right. are, are, are kind of like underwear, you know. Uh, uh-huh. Our hearers all hope that uh, we have it on. That is to say, we hope uh, that they have uh, studied their original languages in preparation for the sermon, but for the most part, we'd rather not see it. For the yeah. most part, we'd like them to uh, gain insights from those Greek verbs that they parse, 
and uh, bring them to us in English, in simple language that we can understand, rather than try to impress us with the fact that they know a language we don't. So we, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what they come up with. Now, you're just destroying Pastor Wolfmiller. He usually, before he talks about the Greek, he always asks, does anyone here know Greek? And then they know one response. Okay, now then he continues uh, with whatever well, Greek Well, I know I, I've had the pleasure of, of sitting Quit in with him. I'll, I'll just me, be sure that I, I kind of lay low on that and, and uh, <laughs> won't raise my hand. So. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right, uh, Dr. Verkinscher, uh, first question off, what is the mark of a good sermon? In other words, uh, what questions could a preacher ask of himself, or what questions could a hearer ask of his or her preacher uh, to walk away knowing that this is a good sermon? Well, above all else, I think Paul summarizes it so well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, he, he'd spent a long time in Corinth uh, prior to writing that first letter to them, and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, In all the time I was with you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, if Christ is proclaimed in the sermon, you've got a dynamite good sermon. If Christ is not proclaimed, uh, then you may, may have some wise words that you could have uh, picked up in a, in a synagogue or a mosque, uh, but uh, nothing that really uh, is what God is intending us to receive from his holy word. And then, of course, when we say Christ crucified, that really does go to that thing that we Lutherans always talk about, that we've talked about in this program so often, and that's long gospel. Uh, the fact that we need Christ to die for us, that's the law, and the fact that he has done by his death and resurrection everything that's necessary to redeem us, and that's the gospel. So uh, if, if we want to uh, break down a little further, we'd say a, a good sermon is a law gospel sermon where, where the gospel ultimately wins out. What, in your experience, uh, either as a, a pastor, preacher yourself, or as a uh, as a professor, seeing seeing uh, young men uh, uh, pick up this task of, of preaching, what would you say is a preacher's greatest temptation? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, there could be many, um, and, and from a lot of different motivations. Uh, when we say temptation, of course, the things that come to mind right away are the, are the really... Uh, sinister things, uh, like a man uh, taking pride in, in his chance to stand up and, and uh, show off. You know, I, I tell my students, uh, within two years of, uh, of beginning your ministry, after you're ordained, uh, you'll have more public speaking experience than 99% of the human population. And with experience in public speaking comes ease, comes skill. And so frankly, uh, before very long, this I also tell them, before very long, it will be a very easy thing to uh, prepare, like, for example, our contestants are today, in about 10 minutes, and then stand up and sound really good. You know, you, uh, you, you take a text, you glance at it quickly, you, you get something you can say out of the text, you come up with two or three good stories uh, that you can tell in a, in, a, in a winsome way, maybe get a laugh or two, uh, certainly uh, hold the hearers in the palm of your hand with your, with your storytelling skill. And you can think that you have dispatched your task of, of being a, a preacher to this congregation quite effectively this week. It's, it's virtually guaranteed in that kind of model uh, to get a lot of compliments, because when you're engaging your people in a, in a lively and winsome kind of conversation from the pulpit, uh, they're going to think they're getting some really good stuff. At least many will, probably most of our hearers will. And that can become um, very seductive. A, a preacher can decide that he's really learned how to preach when he learns to get up and just kind of engage the folks with, with uh, some winsome conversation. Uh, but what may be happening is that he's really giving them a lot of himself. Uh, he's giving perhaps uh, some nice morals, you know, some some things that uh, from that Bible text we might see that, yeah, yeah, we really ought to do that, and here's an example of how we do it. But what will very likely suffer is what we said just a moment ago is the crucial ingredient, Christ crucified. It's much, much easier at a quick glance to look at a text and see some things that we should do or shouldn't do than it is to discover how Christ is actually at the heart of, of every text of Scripture, at least if the text is understood in its full biblical context. Because uh, from, from first to last, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, the Scriptures are all about Christ, our Savior. And sometimes it takes a little bit of looking to see exactly how that really is the point, how Christ crucified really is what God would have us to hear. And, and so I think that's a, that's a tremendous temptation. 
There are other ones, too, um, uh, not necessarily unrelated, uh, but, but laziness can simply be a, a temptation as well uh, to, uh, uh, to, to think that um, uh, it's something that's harder than we can do. It's something that we don't feel we're good at, put it off, set it aside, uh, and, and not really give our preaching the full attention. But I think something along those lines probably would be the, um, the, the, the most uh, seductive kind of temptation. With only about 45 seconds for this answer, um, how would you make the case for someone who says that you have the wrong criteria there? Uh, that is, that Christ is the center of every passage. Um, so how would you respond to someone who says, uh, look, Christ is Im- important indeed for salvation, but, but there are more pressing things uh, thereafter for the Christian, uh, namely becoming uh, a better Christian? How would you respond with about 45 seconds? Sure. Well, uh, to begin with, we go back to Paul saying in his entire time there in Corinth, a, a very lengthy time of a couple of years, Somehow or other, Paul found nothing to say there that was really worthwhile except Christ crucified. You know, to enlarge on that, we look then at the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we see so many topics, many of them with very uh, lively contemporary application involved, things that we certainly see happening around us in our world, in our century, and, and realize that Paul wasn't saying, I didn't talk about any of that other stuff, before, and I'm going to, going to change my direction, not talk about Christ crucified. Now I'm going to talk about other things like lawsuits and sexual immorality and all those things that come up in the letter. Uh, no, what Paul's really saying is Christ crucified is really the answer to all of these very lively contemporary issues that come up. So when we preach Christ crucified, it's not a kind of a gospel reductionism. It really is the key to answering every All right, we'll pause right there and uh, we'll listen to our preaching right after this. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Who could ever teach me? What the son of a preacher man see what he was? For immature audiences only. This is Table Talk Radio. Well, with everybody trying to tell us what to do, you wonder how are you to know whose word is true. But the preacher just keep on bringing us the very same word. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Iron Preacher is the game, and we have our first preacher ready. Now, I don't think we, we put uh, Pastor Wolfman in the sound sound booth uh, anymore, do we? Is that is that right, Brian? We don't... No, you don't. Okay, so so I guess you could g- gain some insight here. Um, you could cheat. Yeah, that you is could go to school on John's putt. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll know though. I mean, this is going to be pretty obvious if you if you cheat from that. Now, I want to also let our listeners. Uh, uh, aware to stay tuned um, after Iron Preacher, we're we're sticking around with uh, Pastor Bombaro to talk about Facebook, and you don't want to miss that because yeah. I think you might yeah. be interested in uh, what that conversation yeah. has to offer. I'm sure that'll be that'll be great. <laughs> you can tell by Pastor Wolfner's tone that he's not looking forward to this conversation. Uh, see, uh, Pastor Wolfner gains his. Uh, security and his popularity from Facebook. So when someone <laughs> attacks Facebook, it's like attacking the wanna, personality of Pastor Wolf. I want to know if there's going to be more law in the sermon or in the talk <laughs> conversation about. All right, all right. We need to give uh, Pastor Bombaro the, the floor. So our first contestant then for Iron Preacher is Pastor John Bombaro, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in San Diego, California. Pastor Bombaro, whenever you're ready. Sounds good. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When God's Holy Word comes to us from St. Luke's Gospel in the 8th chapter, in this text, I understand, would be best understood by its Markian counterpart in Mark chapter 11. So we're going to turn there, and I think we get a fuller understanding of what this text is telling us, what it's proclaiming and witnessing about the Christ. There you'll find Mark gives us one of his classic frames. And what Mark does is he, he takes pairs of incidences, and he has them interpret one another in light of each other. It usually starts with A begins, is suspended, B begins and concludes, and he returns to the conclusion of A. And that's the way he fills out this passage. In this passage, the first incident, um, it, can, it concerns the family of Jesus. His family thinking that Jesus is out of his mind. 
and they begin to reject him as uh, insane, and it happens in a public setting. So that's incident A. It starts with this. The crowds came together, and so uh, they could not even eat. That's to say Jesus and the disciples. When his family members heard it, they went out to restrain him uh, for the people, that's to say literally they, the family members, were saying he's gone out of his mind. Well, there we have Jesus' family. That's the incident A. That incident stops at that point, and incident B takes over the story where the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said about Jesus that he has a Beelzebub, that the ruler of the demons, uh, it's by the ruler of demons that he's casting out demons. So we have got two accusations taking place here. Jesus rebuts the second accusation about doing things by the finger of the devil as illogical. He says there, if Satan has risen up against Satan and is divided, his house cannot stand but will come to an end. But he also notes that if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house is not able to stand. So this rebuttal points in two directions at once, toward the framed kingdom or the dominion of the evil one, the Satan, and toward the framing of a house or family, particularly the family of Jesus. In other words, when Jesus makes the indictment that whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin, it's directed not only against the scribes from Jerusalem, but even against his own family members. And that will become important because what he's going to do is redefine who constitutes the family of God. And that's where we're heading here. So by that stage, we're somewhere prepared for the, um, the closing indictment today concerning Jesus' family. There Jesus places it where his blood family replaces his blood family with a faith family, those who trust in him. No longer is it going to be circumcision. No longer is it going to be the Jewish stock but that which constitutes the family of God, the people of God, is going to be faith in the Christ. And when the crowds were sitting around him, they said to him, your mother and your brothers or sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus responded, looking at those around him and saying, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Remembering, hearkening back to what Jesus had been asked, what work shall we do that we do the works of God in John chapter 6? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Christ makes himself at center there. So Mark is describing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as both familial accusation of madness and the scribal accusation of possession. Next follows the B incident, which is usually uh, understood as the, uh, the cleansing of the temple. You know, Jesus is not having a temper tantrum here. Rather, Jesus is concluding uh, his in- encounter with the temple on, the in- on this incident with the fig tree. So he passes by, and this is on Tuesday, and concludes in chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, with, In the morning they passed by, and they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered, and he said, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you have cursed is withered. Now, again, that's the typical framing. The framing is now bringing it all back to the point. What happened to the fig tree is what happens in the temple. These two are interpreting one another, and it's all bound up also with his family here. So... What you have is Jesus expecting to find some fruit on a time in which fruit wasn't really going to be there. He comes, he's hungry, he's expecting to find figs. It's not there. Having failed to find it, he curses the tree to permanent barrenness. This is going to be linked directly with the temple. This is going to be linked with the people of Israel who do not transfer, sit loose, let go of their national holdings and identity and transfer these things specifically to Christ himself. About 30 he seconds. himself as the center of Israel. So here we have that classic framing. The fruit it, that Jesus is expecting to receive is the fruit of faith. Faith that the promise-making God is the promise-keeping God in Christ. Christ himself is the temple. He's reconstituting it and he's reconstituting the people of God in and around himself. He is the Israel, and if you are going to be Israel, you must, by faith, be united to him. Faith is to be in Christ. And for us, those who have been baptized, we have our unition with Christ through the waters of holy baptism, which God speaks a performative speech act that cannot be overturned. And there, we're saved from condemnation, alienation from the King himself. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Bombaro. Uh, Dr. Frakincher, uh, we have uh, about uh, three minutes for your, three or four minutes for your critique. 
Well, obviously, uh, Pastor Bombaro has done an extremely uh, thorough job in just a very short preparation time. Uh, he has done what would normally be done probably most effectively in a much longer uh, kind of sermon time. Uh, essentially, he has given us an expository look at the text, actually uh, shifted text with us, but for the moment, an expository look at the scriptures, uh, which does take a significant amount of time. In, in what I often refer to as neo-expository preaching, which is quite popular in, in many churches these days, uh, a pastor anticipates having 30 to 45 minutes to work through detail of a text, as, as Pastor Bombaro has done for us here. Uh, that, again, is a great challenge uh, in this very, very short time frame. Um, he has shifted the text uh, with some validity, but that, I think, also has certain disadvantages because the, the parallels that one finds uh, from one gospel to another also have unique elements, and it's usually advantageous to highlight the unique elements in one particular uh, preaching uh, opportunity, and then a, a future year, let's say, if one is working with the three-year lectionary, come back and look at the unique elements in the other gospel, uh, in this case Luke shifting to, to Mark's gospel. And so I think that has certain disadvantages there. Also, uh, a challenge for Pastor Mabaro in, in an expository approach uh, in such a very, very short time is to be sure that we get past the details, the minutia, and grasp what is the, the larger picture. And that, of course, always is, is where Christ uh, comes into clear focus. Um, in this particular case, he brought us very nicely to the gospel at the end when he reminded us that Christ has reconstituted uh, Israel around himself, that in our baptism, which I appreciated very much, he pointed out to be a, a performative act, something that uh, uh, took place at the moment of each of our baptisms and cannot be changed. Uh, in that uh, act, we became members of the, the family of Christ, the new, uh, the new Israel, and that was a delightful exp expression of the gospel at that closing moment. I do, however, al always uh, caution uh, preachers that I train to be sure that the cross itself is explicitly declared uh, also in connection with the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper both have their validity in that they deliver to us what Christ did on the cross. And so, uh, when we proclaim the sacraments without also being very explicit of, uh, about the cross, the event of Jesus' crucifixion, it can cause the hearer to misunderstand and almost feel as if there are multiple ways of salvation. Jesus' death on the cross saves us, oh, and baptism saves us, and oh, and Holy Communion saves us. When in fact there's one way of salvation, Christ securing salvation for the entire world, which is then delivered to us in the means of grace, so that we do indeed rightly say, baptism does now save us. Holy Communion saves us. And so in listening to Pastor Bombaro's message, I heard baptism beautifully proclaimed in its, in its gospel significance. I didn't hear the event of the cross actually uh, being specified. And so I think that is a, perhaps a bit of, uh, of a potential disadvantage for the hearers. All right, you are listening to Table Talk Radio. You just heard the voice of Dr. Carl Frickencher, our judge for Iron Preacher. And before that was Pastor John Bombaro of Grace Lutheran Church in San Diego, California. After this commercial break on Table Talk Radio, we'll be hearing the preaching of Pastor Brian Wolfmuller to see how it compares then to <laughs> the text on Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8, 16 through 21. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Table Talk Radio. It's incredible how well our good looks translate to radio. He got a new mercy, a new grace. Street corner preacher with the angry face. He got two years off for good behavior. Back in the neighborhood of working for the city. That's two of 
It's time for the street corner future with the angry face, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. <laughs> hey, my good looks translate with radio. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I, I forgot to look uh, what your what your record is. Um, uh, it's something like uh, one and no two because you beat me. Big. big What's your record there? Uh, <coughs> oh and one. Hey, weren't we going to do this thing where the uh, where the challenger gets to choose which iron preacher he wants to challenge <laughs> you or me? We figured out that. Figured idea? I'd be too busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear your sermon on Luke chapter 8, 16 through 21, whenever you're ready. In the name of Jesus, amen. Therefore take heed how you hear, and these words from Jesus, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is wrapping up in this text from Luke chapter 8, the um, the parable of the sower, which he just finished giving, where he talks about how he and uh, and his commission, preachers go and preach the word, and and the word is always fought against. And that's why Jesus gives this command, take heed how you listen, or literally, look how you hear. That's an imperative, by the way. Look how you hear. Use your eyes uh, in regards to your ears, because, this Jesus is warning us, there's a competition for your ears. The devil wants to to govern what you hear. So he comes along and snatches up the Lord's word and fills it with his own lies and his own deceptions. The world wants to compete for your ears, to fill it with its, uh, with its troubles, with its persecutions, with its, uh, with its mockery of, of, your, of your faith and of your God. Your flesh is competing even for your ears. You want to hear things that are pleasing to you. And the pleasures of this world come and, and, and snuff out the Lord's word. So take heed. Look to how you hear, says Jesus, because blessing is found not in the hearing of the world or the flesh or, or the words of the devil, but blessing is found in hearing the words of God. But, dear saints, look, we oftentimes uh, neglect this command that Jesus gives to us. This command to take heed to what we're listening to. We, we open our ears to all sorts of filth and nonsense and worst of all to false, to false teaching. We hear echoing in, in our ears and in our flesh uh, doubt in God's word, doubt in his promise of forgiveness, doubt in his merciful love for us. Take heed how you hear and repent. Because if we want the blessing of being the Lord's brother, of being a child of the or the Lord's sister, of being a child of the Heavenly Father, of being a member of His household. It comes from hearing the Word of God. And the reason is because when we hear the Word of God, we hear the voice of Jesus. When we hear the Word of God, we hear the sound of His blood dripping over our sins. When we hear God's Word, we hear the wrath of God dispatched on Jesus and not on us. When we hear the Word of God, we hear the Word of the cross, of God in our flesh, in our place, crucified for us. Blessed are you who hear the Word of God, because when you hear His Word, you hear his promise, his blessing, his good news. Dear saints, when you hear his word, you hear this, that your sins are forgiven by Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. With two minutes to spare even, uh, but, but you don't get any extra credit for that. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the uh, the people. I defer my two minutes to the to the pastor from San Diego. <laughs> uh, maybe the the saints at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, would wish you would preach three minute sermons more often. <laughs> All right, Doctor Fritkenscher, what do you make of Pastor Wolfmuller's sermon? Both nice jobs. Uh, this is also an excellent sermon, as was the previous. Uh, a very challenging text for both preachers because verses 16 through 18 and verses 19 through 21 are not obviously unified. Uh, what Pastor Wolf Mueller did was, was pick out a unifying element between the two, the hearing, uh, from back from verse uh, uh, 18, therefore take care how you listen or how you hear, and then in uh, verse 21, uh, my brother, mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
Um, that's a very helpful element for the hearer. Uh, a unifying element like that builds, in, when we have a little more time to, to, uh, to make it more formal, into an effective theme. Uh, I, I speak about uh, forming a mental matrix in the, in, in the minds of the hearers, that is, a set of expectations into which they can assimilate everything that a preacher says throughout the sermon. And giving us that, that key word of hear uh, gave us a mental matrix which enabled us to listen and hear each of the elements in that one unified context. That was, that was a, a real strength. Um, there was a, a, a solid uh, warning of law. Uh, that there's a competition for our ears. The devil, the world, and our flesh tempt us, uh, trouble us, uh, entice us with all kinds of pleasures. And the blessing uh, that we uh, hope to receive is only in hearing God's word as opposed to the, those other competitors for our ears. Um, he called us to repent and then turn to the gospel very nicely. Uh, he began by saying, if we want the blessing of being a child of God, and for a moment there I thought we might keep it quite conditional, uh, and was a little worried about that, but then he uh, spoke very powerfully what we hear when we hear God's Word. We hear the voice of Jesus. We hear the blood of Jesus dripping from the cross. We hear God's wrath dispatched against his Son and us spared. We hear the cross we hear his promise. And I like very much the way he concluded with the words of absolution. Your sins are forgiven. Uh, just as Pastor Bombaro made that uh, excellent observation uh, about the performative speech act that takes place in baptism, so also we had that performative speech act taking place right there at the end of Pastor Wolfmuller's sermon. Your sins are forgiven. When, when a pastor uh, speaks words of that nature, what he just said has just happened. When he faces a congregation and says, your sins are forgiven, then, as Jesus says in John chapter 20, his, the, the, the sins of the hearers really are forgiven at that very moment. That's a very powerful element in preaching. It's something that Lutherans understand uh, to be uh, a, a magnificent blessing of God, we understand the means of grace to be not just promising or offering something, but actually delivering the goods that they describe. And so in both of those sermons, a, a, marvelous, uh, a marvelous element, a, a marvelous way of proclaiming the gospel in, in making those gospel words clearly performative. So again, a very fine sermon uh, by our second preacher as well. I noticed in this text a uh, possible pitfall that neither one of our preachers today fell into, um, is this last verse, uh, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And I see a lot of preachers who would take a verse like this and then make a division between those who hear and then those who do, uh, almost right. like a, a two-tier. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and uh, you're right, both preachers certainly avoided that. But uh, to hear and do are things that happen. Uh, one uh, cannot be uh, really separated from the other. They, they hear, that is, the one who hears with faith, hears in believing, does do the things of, of Christ. That's right. All right, then, Dr. Verkincher, if you're ready to render your verdict. Well, I'm going to go this time with the Iron Preacher, Pastor Wolfmuller, on the basis of a clear declaration of the cross and a, a unified uh, element that uh, gave a thematic uh, understanding to the hearers. I'm going to go ahead and mute his victory song he's he's playing right now. Um, <laughs> uh, now, Dr. Verkincher, with a couple, with just uh, oh a minute and a half left, uh, tell us about uh, Concordia Theological Seminary and the work uh, that is being done there to, purport, to prepare men for the office of the Holy Ministry. Well, we delight to have every candidate that God sends to us, every man that uh, feels God is, is equipping him to serve in the office of the Holy Ministry. And we, we consider each of the guys that would come to us that way uh, a real treasure, um, a blessing that, that God has raised up through congregations and families and pastors all over the church. Uh, we think we have a tremendous uh, burden and responsibility to shape those men uh, as faithfully as we can, and that involves... Uh, to uh, enable them to understand and to uh, interpret the scriptures accurately, including using the original languages of Greek and Hebrew. Uh, it involves understanding the context in which we do ministry today, that is, historical theology, seeing how the church through the centuries has, has addressed issues that often are really very similar to those we, we face today, uh, how the church has uh, has taken the scriptures and systematized them into clear teachings 
looking at the entire uh, 66 books of the Bible and, 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 and seeing how uh, continuing and, and uh, uh, themes running through them uh, are unified. And then all forms of, of pastoral ministry challenges. And, of course, uh, I teach homiletics, preaching, the thing we've been talking about today. Uh, we, we consider that and uh, all the other aspects of pastoral ministry, from, from visiting to teaching to counseling, uh, huge, huge responsibilities uh, for our men and, therefore, for us in, in preparing them uh, for those. Um, we, we really do believe that uh, we have a sacred calling from God uh, to, to mold those men. We talk about pastoral formation, uh, which is so much more than just academics, so much more than just downloading information. Uh, Mark chapter 3 means this, and when you preach, you do this, this, and this. Uh, it, it's really forming the very men who will be pastors of congregations, and of course that is done, as God always does his formation of any Christian, by the means of grace, by what we do in chapel every day, as we hear the word, as we receive the sacrament, as we study that word, as we grow in that word as a community, as families, and as individuals. It's a real joy to be a part of Concordia Theological Seminary and have that opportunity to work with these treasures that God sends to us. Dr. Carl Frakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Frakencher, thanks for joining us again on Table Talk Radio. Always my pleasure, Evan. Thank you so much. After this commercial break, we'll be back uh, talking with uh, Pastor Bombaro about uh, his article, Face-to-Face Discipleship in a Facebook World. How is the uh, era of social networking affect how we uh, proclaim the Word of God and how we grow in the Lord's Word? We'll be talking about that after this com- commercial break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. Right after this. It's a movement, not a radio show. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. In the last segment of the program, we'll be talking with Pastor John Bombaro of Grace Lutheran Church in San Diego, California. Uh, he has an article that w- appeared in the July-August 2011 edition of Modern Reformation entitled Face-to-Face Discipleship in a Facebook World. Pastor Bombaro, uh, what compelled you, uh, what got you onto this topic? Uh, what w- why-, why was this article needed for the church? The, what got me started on the topic was actually my uh, classes I teach at the University of San Diego. And what's funny was my, some of my students were engaged in uh, social networks through which the church was being done. Uh, sermons were being uploaded, uh, intimations were posted on, on, the, uh, on the wall, uh, discipleship was taking place through the chat medium, and uh, what we were finding was that there was no personal contact, and my concern there is that this is simply antithetical to the entire purpose for which God had come here incarnate as the Christ uh, to, to redeem humanity, and indeed, while he has left his abiding presence, not only through the Holy Spirit, but in persona Christi, in, in the priesthood, through pastors themselves, being present with their people, this whole idea of doing discipleship, doing church through um, a social networking medium just is completely antithetical uh, for the very foundation of the church. Okay, so you're going to get a response from like the, my pouting co-host over there, uh, who is probably going to say, no, 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 that the, this technology has, has helped expand this message, uh, that technology is, is getting the word out, that same word of God. Uh, how would you respond to someone who has such hey, a... Hey, uh, careful, careful. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'll tweet him an encouragement later. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is as, this is as deep as my thinking about this thing goes. Facebook is rocking awesome. <laughs> and now and now and now I'm reading this the line in uh, in uh, Pastor Bombaro's thing that says. Uh, Living takes place before the cyber mirror through which the virtual self legitimates the spatio-temporal self. See, you, you uh, can't, you can't fit. See, you can't fit an article like this under 160 characters. So, <laughs> you're, you're probably gonna have a hard time reading this, Pastor Wolf Miller. <laughs> I know, I know. But I the reason this doesn't work, and I and I mentioned this in the um, uh, in the article, is church is all about personal presence. It's, uh, you know. It's not going to happen when you're sitting in front of the uh, the digital screen projecting your hologram self, which is a, a form of deception, quite frankly. It's it's lying. We go back and we remake ourselves in the most ideal way. We'll uh, you know um, we'll, we'll brush up the images. We put uh, this sort of idea that we want people to think we are there. In other words, we're fabricating. Uh, an idea of ourselves or fabricating an, an image of ourselves and portraying that. And you know what it isn't? It isn't real. It isn't the real world in which we live, in which someone may walk into your home and see you have a second-hand couch, that their dish is in the sink, and you've got a pimple on your nose. That's the reality in which Christ engaged. And for all the friendships taking place online, there's still no hugs, no handshakes, no looking in the eye. You know, as I said in the article, MySpace is no place, friends are files, chats is voiceless, templates establish individuation. The whole point is that it is sending the wrong message about God, the wrong message about God's presence in the world, and the wrong message about God's people in the world engaging the world in our spatiotemporal self. And our spatiotemporal self includes physicality. For all of the discipleship that could possibly take place, you're still not going to engage water, bread, wine, the Holy Spirit. We're not going to engage the true body and blood of Christ. We're not going to have that hand of absolution placed on our head. Those things don't take place, let alone the sharing of the chalice with someone or taking their hands during the Lord's Prayer. The community that Christ built is a real community. It is not a virtual one. And I say to my friends, uh, my friends are the ones that I can count on and see in the here and now, even though I'm from Philadelphia. I really don't maintain any friendships in Philadelphia because I don't live there. I live here. This is my community. These are the people with whom I interact. The rest of them are, are, are associations, uh, acquaintances and such. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. Um, we are tethered, trans, uh, moving ourselves through life um, with the people with whom God has put us with. I mean, even our, our new LCMS logo, Life Together, it's not life virtually together, like digitally together, it's life in spatio-temporality, engaging the true physicality of Christ as he is present with his transformed incarnational presence, while we are, are celebrating together as the body of Christ, receiving one another into the body of Christ through uh, holy baptism receiving the same absolution, whether you're the smoker, the overweight person, the underweight person, uh, the black, the white, the rich, the poor, the Latino, uh, Spanish-speaking, none of that matters. God engages us in the here and now, in reality, through the great equalizers, the Word and the sacraments. Unfortunately, Facebook doesn't facilitate any of those things. Uh, did you see that commercial? I, I it's been out for a while. Where the where the young teenage girl is sitting at a, you know a laptop and talking about how many Facebook friends she has and how her parents are so lame because they only have like eight Facebook friends. And meanwhile, the scenes are cutting away to her parents going you know out back you know in their SUV, which is the advertisement. Did you see that that commercial? Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, I mean, so that that teenage girl is Pastor Wolfmuller, and he's thinking because. <laughs> Because I have, you know, 600 Facebook friends um, that that this actually means something. Meanwhile, um, his co-host is out uh, doing uh, totally awesome things in Oregon. Uh, but uh, Pastor All alone. Pastor <laughs> Pastor Bombaro, I want to read a, a exchange that you put in your article from uh, the Fellowship Wall, and the and the exchange goes like this: uh, Person A says, uh, "Doing Lent? You mean giving something up?" No, you know, the whole Lent thing, church and all. Not really. What about you? Me neither. I was thinking about 
uh, I'd renew my New Year's resolutions. Cool, I'll pray for you. What's what's wrong with an exchange like this? <laughs> it's so trite. It's light. It's weightless. And it doesn't come with the real-life encouragement of someone actually being there. That That's not discipleship. That That's not mutual I- I- encouragement. Um, you know, I think there's just something profoundly narcissistic when we think that we're making friends and tallying them up um, with, you know, sort of numeric score in the corner there. Oh, I've got 600 friends and that sort of thing. The fact of the matter is Facebook actually operates on principles that are contrary to friend-making. Um, the f- fundamental premises upon which Facebook rests is exclusivity, self-identification, and convenience. And all of these things are antithetical to the kingdom that Christ created. You know, it operates on this concept of adolescent clique, of exclusivity. I, I wrote in the article that um, uh, what we wind up doing in Facebook is reliving in this virtual kind of way our high school uh, and college desires for popularity and the posturing that goes along with that. But isn't that isn't the period of life in which we are most confused and unsure about who we are? We're unfounded in terms of our self-identification. Christ has given us something grounded in real human history that required something tangible that establishes who and what we are, and that's holy baptism, where the benefits of Christ's life, of representation, his death on our behalf, his resurrection for our justification are transferred to us, where we become united with the one who is the righteousness of God. That doesn't happen electronically. It doesn't happen through ones and zeros. You have to engage real human beings. Is part of this, too, not only how the the benefits of the church are distributed, but also how um, uh, we would uh, have conflict and disagreement with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, it seems like the the disagreements that take place online are uh, more hostile than what would really take place when you're disagreeing with someone face to face. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking. Uh, you know, I did a children's chapel this morning, and we were talking about the formula of forgiveness, how reconciliation takes place, and it doesn't take place with, "I'm sorry for X." Oh, well, don't worry about it. That's not reconciliation. Or, "I'm sorry for X." Well, it's okay. No, it's not okay, and that's why I'm apologizing for it. We haven't been reconciled. Real reconciliation works this way. I'm sorry for X, and I forgive you for X. That requires a deeper communication than the text that is full of sameness. Now, what I mean by that is all the fonts the same, all the communication comes across the same. There is no personality. There's no pathos. There's no emotion. There's no volition, uh, volitional component bound up with the communication of particularly um, a performative speech act, a verbal action like apologizing and extending forgiveness. These things are powerfully done in the presence of people. I mean, this is why we go to someone, literally go to someone and apologize, and why the reestablishment of a relationship is properly done in their presence. There we press hands, we exchange a kiss, we, we embrace one another. The, the, the forms of full-bodied reconciliation are critical because we're not um, we're not spirit beings inhabiting an earth suit we are at least our physicality and of course so much more you know if I were to take my finger and shove it into your arm you would say stop poking me well that's the fullness of yourself Christ does that kind of forgiving for us that kind of forgiving to us it happens in and through pastoral ministry, especially in the sacrament of holy absolution. And it happens, just as Luther says, in brotherly consolation, where we have reconciliation that is done really in each other's presence, the true person. So all of these are very poor forms of reconciliation, poor forms for communicating the gospel. The gospel was all about being, about going out, being sent, things being personally delivered. Hey, even, you know, the, um, the marketing majors that are on Madison Avenue will tell you that, um, you know, electronic forum and medium isn't the way to make things happen. I, I really realize this out here in the West Coast. If we want to see something happen here in the parish, let's say we're going to have a, you know, a clean-up day or we've got a clothing drive or, or something that effect at the church, I can put it in the bulletin until the cows come home. No one's going to show up. If I 
pick up the phone. If I walk up to someone and ask them, it's done. Things personally diver- delivered make a difference. How much more so with the gospel? How much more so when it's reconciliation between the brethren? All right, uh, Pastor Wolfman, there one minute for rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Pastor uh, uh, Bavaro's uh, kind of three-articled uh, approach to concern, so, so that if God is our creator and he's given us flesh and blood. Uh, he is our redeemer, and he took upon our flesh and blood, and he is the one who sanctifies us with his means, So, which means that there is a radically local uh, nature to both our humanity and our God and the, his church. And I, and I think that's something that is very, very important. Uh, as we, uh, as technology comes along, we, we gotta, we gotta be able to think critically about this stuff. Uh, exactly. And, um, and, and the church, you know, her, her word and sacraments are all decidedly low tech. You know, bread, wine, water, scripture, personal presence. But these things are profoundly humanizing rather than rendering us some sort of virtual hologram. Yeah. I, I don't wonder if the uh, if the Internet, though, is creating a, and this is what I am trying to understand, creating a new uh, public square uh, to, to where uh, th- this is where the great exchange of ideas is happening. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think it just might be what is. And as we the church considers that, we consider how we ought to engage in it. Right. And, well, my suggestion in the article is that perhaps an unimpressed utilitarian approach is the best way to employ this tool. And if we're going to use it in terms of social networking within the church, it's really antithetical to what Christ is trying to accomplish. Hey, listen, when the whole world is out there saying that God is not real, and then we log on to a virtual forum and start to talk about God, what's the theological message there? You know, it's, it's just like sacramentarians and their view of the Lord's Supper. You know, oh, God is real, God is real. And then you come into their, their church, and they're saying, oh, but not here, not, not in that, not in the Lord's Supper. No, not in holy baptism. I think we send the wrong descetic message about God when Christianity is done through particular forms like that. Now, it could be a gateway, a tool for introducing a conversation things personally delivered are going to take the profound effect. Remember, it's the proclamation of the gospel that establishes the form to which the Holy Spirit works. Mm, what we're not trying to do is increase our, um, our friend score. All right. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Thank you, Pastor John Bombaro of Grace Lutheran Church in San Diego, California. Keep up the good work uh, down there in California. My pleasure, men. And uh, congratulations to Pastor Wolfman, the uh, winner of today's Iron Preacher. Unbelievable. Uh, everyone, everyone's so surprised. But uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like Pastor Bombaro's friend list on Facebook. <laughs> hey, mine too. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.